1: Welcome to the Tsai Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SUP China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Tsai China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Tsai Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. Ada Shen is out this week. First, I'll look at the week's news. US and Chinese negotiators are set to meet this week in Beijing their first face-to-face talks since Presidents Xi Jinping and Donald Trump agreed to a 90-day truce to their trade war last month. The two sides have held several rounds of talks by phone in recent weeks with the goal of reaching a long-term agreement by a March deadline, but they have yet to meet in person to have more lengthy and detailed negotiations. In both countries, the trade war has soured the economic outlook and shaken financial markets. China became the first nation to land a spacecraft on the far side of the moon last week in what has been called a groundbreaking achievement for the country's growing space program. The Chang'e 4, a robotic probe consisting of a lander and a rover, touched down in the South pole aitken Basin, a crater on the moon's far side. The touchdown marks the first soft landing on any part of the moon since the Soviet Luna mission in 1976. The far side of the moon was first photographed in 1959, and missions from Europe, India, Russia and America have already mapped it, but the Chinese landing opens the mysterious far side up for close exploration. Weak demand for the iPhone in China shows that Apple's flagship product is being hurt by its high price and the rise of cheaper rival devices in the world's biggest phone market. Apple cited sluggish sales in China when it cut its revenue forecast last week for the first time in two decades. CEO Tim Cook blamed a number of factors, including the strength of the dollar, fewer subsidies from phone service providers, and existing customers sticking with older models. He didn't mention that Apple had priced its new models at stratospheric levels. The iPhone XS Max, for instance, starts at $1,400 in China, flagship phones from Huawei and Oppo cost around half of that. Some of Vivo's entry-level smartphones cost a quarter of the price. The average monthly white-collar salary in China was $1,100, meaning that most new iPhones cost more than a month of work. China's securities regulator imposed record penalties in 2018 on dodgy market players, reflecting the country's continued crackdown on market misconduct. The China Securities Regulatory Commission issued 300 administrative penalties last year, 40% more than in the previous year. The commission also banned 50 people from the market last year. The most common violations were insider trading, illegal information disclosure, and market manipulation. The securities regulator has tightened its grip on financial market activities in recent years as Beijing has stepped up efforts to contain financial risk. International airlines will get to decide whether to hop over from Beijing's current international airport to the colossal new $12 billion one when it opens in September, China's air regulator said, giving the market a say in the major airline realignment. The seven-runway Daxing International Airport is being built 30 miles south of the capital center, and passengers will be able to reach downtown Beijing in 18 minutes via a high-speed rail connect. While Beijing Capital International Airport was expanded with much fanfare before Beijing hosted the Summer Olympics in 2008, it is now packed to capacity with 100 million passengers a year. Daxing will help relieve the burden, with 70 million passengers annually expected by 2025. Chinese-made apps have invaded India's consumer-facing tech scene, where they are increasingly following the playbook developed in their own home market. In December, of the top 100 Android apps in India, 44 were developed by Chinese companies, up from just 18 in the same period a year ago. Topping the list is TikTok, a short video app developed by Beijing-based ByteDance. Others include Alibaba's UC browser, news aggregator NewsDog, backed by Tencent, and live streaming app LiveMe. Let's turn now, as we do each week, to some of Caixin Global's reporters and editors for a deeper dive into some of the week's stories. First up is Tanner Brown, this show's co-producer and head of Tyson Global's breaking news desk. Tanner, good to finally have you on. Uh, so let's talk about population and demographics. You've got a news story about China's population situation, but uh, before we get into that, perhaps we could set the scene and look at the roots of the PRC's population policies historically.
2: Well, you can kind of look at the first stage of modern China, so the PRC. You kind of divide it from 1949, the birth of the PRC, to roughly when Mao died in 76. There was strong encouragement for couples to have multiple children. And in fact, you saw China's population nearly doubled from about half a billion to about a billion people from the beginning of the PRC to when Mao died. So Mao really oversaw the doubling of China's population. But in the 70s, policymakers in China were realizing that the growth of the country did need some restraint. And a two-child policy actually was implemented Under Dung, you saw a more explicit implementation of birth restraint and one child policy was imposed, which really lasted up until a couple of years ago. An asterisk there is that there were all kinds of exceptions. And in fact, uh, data show that through that period that we call the one child policy, uh, about half of families would have a second child for a number of different exceptions or reasons.
1: But then just recently, there's been another loosening
2: Right. In 2015, policymakers, this had been being discussed, but it was finally put into effect. Big realization that China was going to have a demographic, really a crisis on a bigger scale of what we saw in Japan, where the country was getting quite old without the replenishing of a younger generation of workers and providers for social security, etc. So in 2015-16, an official two-child policy began.
1: So we've had a couple of years now to see what effect this would have. What effect has it had?
2: The short answer is it hasn't worked. Most demographers here are still concerned and still believe that if fertility rates don't increase, China is facing problems. Again, when families were told, hey, in 2016, you can have a second child, we saw what they call like a boomlet a rush of families having a second child, that calmed down and has largely gone away, and we're not seeing the expected increase in second children that policymakers had hoped for. So now we are at the end of 2018, and areas in China are reporting their 2018 population data. So births in Qingdao, for instance, fell 20% in 2018. That's overall. And births of second children fell almost 30%. In Zhejiang province, uh, one of China's wealthiest province and quite a populous one, almost the size of um, the UK or Italy, birth rates have returned to one-child policy-era rates. Uh, Births this year at Beijing's largest maternity hospital uh, fell from last year. So the numbers don't look good. It doesn't appear that the two-child policy was strong enough to incentivize families. And do we know why? One contributor is that China has rapidly become much wealthier, and historically, as countries grow richer they also have fewer children. Chinese people also work very long hours compared to a lot of the rest of the world so you're seeing families that they don't have the bandwidth to have a child or to have a second child.
1: How about going forward what policies can we expect now in response to this
2: some observers have um, are calling for complete removal of birth restrictions so going from a two-child policy to as many children as you want policy. And some have told us that they believe policymakers will make that move maybe in the next year or two.
1: Well, great, Tanner, and happy new year to you, and look forward to talking to you again soon, man. Thanks, Kaiser. Next up, let's chat with Charlotte Yang and Fran Wong, both reporters at Caixin Global, to talk about eight interesting or particularly representative economic keywords, words that would be sufficient maybe if you were living on Mars to get a grasp of the issues facing the Chinese economy. Uh, So let's go through these and start with the Chinese and then explain what they are in English. And let's start with you, Charlotte.
3: Okay, so the first term has to be 经济增速放缓, which is slow economic growth. As those of you who are following China knows that the past year has been very difficult for China's economy, and the GDP has slowed to 6.5% in the third quarter, which is the slowest expansion in a year since the first quarter of
1: 2009. So, Huan. Okay, uh, term number two then seems to explain why growth is slowing.
3: A big reason for that is Mao uh, Yi which is trade war. So the tit for tat tariffs has definitely hurt China's economy, which is still heavily reliant on exports. And also because the latest developments of, for example, the rest of Huawei's executive has added more uncertainties that people are worrying that this trade war is much more than just trade.
1: Okay, this next word isn't one that's part of my everyday vocabulary for sure. It's Uh Tell us about what, Fran, tell us about what 去港港 means.
0: Ganga in English is uh, deleveraging. We know that China's top leaders have since the summer of 2016 been trying to reduce the leverage ratio of the financial sector to control risks. Uh, which is now as financial deleveraging. And this campaign has led to squeeze on liquidity in the market and also constrained local governments' financial strength to invest in infrastructure, uh, which is the main driver of economic growth because traditionally local governments have been borrowing off their balance sheet through shadow banking activities, uh, which is the main target of the financial deleveraging crackdown.
1: And deleveraging leads to two other words that have become important phenomena to watch. Can you explain these two concepts?
0: Other consequences of the deleveraging campaign include a surge in bond default and also a rise in pledged share risks. Bond default is now in Chinese as and pledged share risks is now as. Basically, many of the major shareholders of Chinese listed companies have been putting down their shareholdings as collateral to borrow from brokerages and banks for their own investment and spending purposes.
1: Okay, and Charlotte, we had another complicating issue. Uh, Tell us about that one.
3: So another thing that added to China's financial turmoil is P2P collapse, which in Chinese is P2P Baole. So this year, we've okay. seen um, a lot of defaults, fraud, and wave of closures. So um, China's P2P online lending platforms, which saw exponential growth in the past years, have become a major nightmare for many mom-and-pop investors who lost their life savings, as well as for government regulators. As liquidity conditions tightens, we've seen that one Ponzi scheme happened after another. Um, So Chinese authorities have stepped up a crackdown on the industry to prevent systemic risks.
2: Sure. Uh, Continuing on our (laughs) negative aspects, uh, how about I see? I see that one of them is related to the Chinese currency. What's this one?
3: So um, the Chinese currency, yuan, has had a very tough year, which in Chinese we say that So um, this has to do with a lot of things, from China's slow economy to trade friction and U.S. interest rate hikes. So a weak yuan, like on the positive side, could help cushion some of Trump's tariffs hikes we mentioned about from the trade war. But it could also hurt investors' confidence and could also trigger um, capital outflows.
1: And then finally, Fran, a lot of these were negative, but there were some things that may have pleased investors, right? Talk about one of these tax cuts.
0: Yeah, tax cuts, uh, which in Chinese is jian shui, is a major policy the Chinese government has uh, announced that it will adopt next year in a bid to bolster economic growth. Basically, tax cuts can reduce the financial burden on companies and also the cuts in personal income tax is expected to encourage people to spend, to consume. However, tax cuts at a time of uh, slowing revenue growth as economic growth slows down could also add pressure on the government because on the other side, it's going to increase spending in infrastructure this year as well as another major step to boost economic expansion.
1: Well, thanks so much to both of you, Charlotte and Fran, for talking to us. And we'll talk to you again soon.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Kaiser.
1: And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Sinica Business Brief is powered by Sup China and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Tyson Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about Contemporary China and the expanding Sinica network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at Sup China subscribe to our newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.